All right, today I am going to start with a demonstration, and I've asked my friend Nate to come up here with his daughter, Briella, and they're going to show us an amazing performance of strength and trust. So give your attention to Nate and Briella. Give them a big warm welcome. Hey, all right, all right. Good, good job, good job. <laughs> Hey, nice bow, nice bow. All right, so kids, how many thought of you thought that looked fun? Okay, yeah, most of you. All right, looks really cool. What's that? You've seen the message, so you know that was that was fun and good. All right, now, kids, what do you think would have happened if Nate would have dropped her? Now, now he's a good daddy. He would never drop her on purpose. But let's just imagine for a second. Let's just pretend Nate throws her in the air. And takes a step back and lets her fall. Well, what do you think would happen? Bradley. Yeah, Briella could fall. She'd get hurt. Might break a leg. Would get scraped up on the brick here. Yeah, what else do you think might happen? She'd cry. Yeah. Now, how many of you think that after Nate steps back, lets her drop, Briella would get up, run back, and go, again, Daddy, again? No. No. She would probably struggle to trust him. You see, when someone gets hurt, their trust has often been broken. We say that they have trust issues. Now, hers would be because she got physically hurt. But a lot of us, our, our trust issues are because we've been hurt emotionally. Kids, if you've ever had your mom or dad say something kind of mean to you, it hurts. And it breaks the trust for just a little bit. I've known moms and dads, husbands and wives who've had their spouse betray them. And it hurts deeply. And they don't know if they can ever trust them again. I know some people who've gotten divorced and it hurts so badly. They don't think they could ever trust someone else again. So they never get married again. I know some people who've been very hurt by church. A church, someone at it said something really mean. They did something really horrible. And so they just back away. And so if you were to go and invite them, hey, would you come to my church? They may not know us a bit. We may be very different than the church that hurt them, but they wouldn't come simply because we are known as Riverwood Church. You see, when you've been hurt, you struggle to trust. But if you don't have trust, you can't have a good relationship because no relationship can be built on doubt. If you're always doubting, you're always staying back. The only way you can have a good relationship with someone is if there's trust and you come into them. That's why today, if you have some trust issues with God, today might be a little difficult. Because today, on the surface, it looks like we're going to learn how to pray. But as we look at this today, we're going to see that the foundation for prayer is trust. And if you have some trust issues with God, if you feel like God threw you up in the air and then stepped back and you came crashing down, you're probably not exactly wanting to run back to him. You're probably not wanting to trust. So how in the world do you pray to a God that you don't trust? Hopefully, we'll answer that question. We're still going to find this in the book of Matthew. So if you brought a Bible with you today, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, and we're going to continue on in our unexpected series. 
All right, so Bibles, Bible apps are good. Inside your activity pads, kids, is Matthew 6. We're going to uh, grab that. If you need a paper Bible, want to use one, they're on the back table. Uh, or you can just slip your hand in the air and someone will bring one to you. But let's go to Matthew 6. As we get ready to, to read it, let me open in prayer. Well, Father, we are coming to the scriptures, which uh, we believe that you wrote way before any of us ever came around. And, and these words will be here far after we are gone. And so, Lord, today, help us to not read into these our own perception, our own ideas, but let us hear directly from you. And this wouldn't be about what Aaron Bird wants to say, but this would be about what you, our Heavenly Father, has already said to us. And may it change us. May we see that you are a good, good Father and that we can trust you. So, Father, may you be glorified through this time of teaching, and would you change each and every one of us more and more into the image of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so kids, as you may know or not know, we are in a series called Unexpected. We're just going through the Sermon on the Mount. We are ready for verse 5. We're going to go verses 5 through 15 today. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father. In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, as Jesus has been teaching along here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's been saying a lot of unexpected things, some things that would kind of shock his audience, and if we're honest, kind of shock us as well. But today, as we read it, there's not a whole lot shocking. There's not a lot unexpected, because for some of us, we've kind of grown up in church and we've heard the Lord's Prayer. Some of us, we've grown up in Christian homes where prayer was a part of everyday life. And so prayer, no big deal. But notice today that Jesus doesn't just teach us how to pray. He also takes a moment to teach us how not to pray. And he points out two ways. The two ways are to pray not like hypocrites and to pray not like the Gentiles. Pray not like hypocrites, pray not like Gentiles. All right, so let's start with Pray not like hypocrites. That's what we find in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Any of you kids know what a hypocrite is? Not a hippogriff. That's from the Harry Potter world. Right? And it's not hip with it. It's a hypocrite. Does anyone know what a hypocrite is? Zion. Yeah, someone who says one thing, but does another. Very good, Zion. 
But there's a problem with that, guys. If you're human, you're a hypocrite. All right, now, that probably is offensive, but let me prove it to you. All right, raise your hand if you think lying is wrong. All right, okay, yeah, most every hand is up. Lying is wrong, okay? Uh, but how many of you will admit that you've lied? Uh-huh, yeah, pretty much all the same hands go up, revealing that you are a hypocrite. You say one thing, but you have done another. Now, I'm going to let you off. Most of us are accidental hypocrites. Like, we're not intentional in our hypocrisy, all right? It's not like we plan to say one thing and then intentionally go and do another. But the people that Jesus is talking about, they were intentional. Like, their faith was all outward. It was all out here in the public sphere. But when they went home, they didn't believe in God. And so last week, the adults saw that they would give in a certain way to get all the attention. But they weren't giving in secret. They weren't really giving because they really meant it. This week, we see that when they prayed, they would pray out where everyone could see them. But when they were at home, there was no prayer going on. But you see, this wasn't just a problem in Jesus' day. This is also a problem in our day. I I can guarantee that today, on this Sunday, there are some pastors who are leading their congregations in prayer. And they will stand up front, they'll put this right in front of them, and they will, let's pray. And they will begin to pray. And when they go home, there's no prayer. They, They won't be praying Monday through Saturday. They'll plan a whole entire worship service for the next Sunday. But there's no prayer going on. Their prayer is all public. And and some of these guys, they are good. I mean, they're really good. They get up there and and they have this like voice. I I don't have it, but I'll I'll fake it. They have this voice and they'll say, oh, holy God, may you in all your majesty bestow us upon us and lavish upon us your grace. For Jesus is the propitiation of our sins. And they just go on and on and on and they use all these really, really big words. And I think they sometimes don't even know what they're saying. Now, sometimes what they're saying It's absolutely biblically accurate. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just the prayer is designed to get attention so that everyone sees them and thinks, wow, they're really smart. Wow, they must be really holy. Some people find out that I'm a pastor and they'll say, hey, could you say a prayer for me? Because you have a direct line to God. And when they stand up front and they say all these really big words and you think, whoa, like they must be really close to God. Man, I wish they would pray for me. And Jesus is saying, the whole reason they're doing that is to get attention. But the purpose of prayer is not to impress people. The purpose of prayer is to connect with this God that we are impressed by. If you have truly met God, you're so impressed by him, you want to talk to him. Because the creator of all things invites you into his presence. And so you're blown away by that. And so you pray. Disclaimer, this does not mean you can't pray in public, all right? I've already prayed. Here we are. We're out in the garden. I mean, out in the park. I've prayed. No big deal, right? Jesus in the scriptures, we even see him pray in public. So it's not like he's banning public prayer. But what he is banning is praying for the purpose of getting attention. So kids, if, if you're at school, all right, I know school just got out, so this is a painful reminder, uh, but just go with me, all right? You go to the school lunch period, you sit down with your lunch, whether it be the hot lunch or you bring your own, and all of a sudden you just take a moment and pray. There you are. You're in a public setting. It's okay. You could just bow your head and quietly, thank you, God, for my food. 
But what you probably shouldn't do is stand up on the cafeteria table and start loudly saying, God, we thank you for this food that we're about to shovel into our mouths and fill the empty void of our stomach. My friends and I say thank you. And this I loudly pray in Jesus' name, amen. Right? That will get you attention, probably the attention of the principal, and you might have to have a few conversations. The purpose of prayer is not to get attention. The purpose of prayer is because you already have the attention of God. So do not pray like the hypocrites. But there's another one there. He says to also not pray like Gentiles. That's what we find in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Sorry, I went one too far. All right? He's saying, do not pray like the Gentiles. All right, anyone here know what a Gentile is? No, it is not a gentle reptile. All right? I don't care what the, uh, what's in the Bible says. What is a Gentile? Yeah, someone who's not Jewish. All right? So I'm not Jewish. So I'm a Gentile. And I assume that most all of you here are Gentiles. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't be allowed to pray. You got to think back. In Jesus' day, there were some Gentiles that believed that the one true God, Jehovah, of the Jews, was the God. So they might pray to him. But the majority of the Gentiles had their own gods. And they would pray to them. And they foolishly believed that if they said really, really long prayers, that their prayers would be heard. Or they foolishly thought if they just repeated their words over and over and over and over, that then they would be heard. When you do that, you act as if your words are magic. As if if you just put the right combination of words together, or you just pray long enough, or you repeat them enough times, therefore, like magic, voila, abracadabra, there it is, and your prayer is answered. Now, kids... When you ask for something and someone says, would you please say the magic word? If you said abracadabra, you're not getting squat. All right? They're looking for the word please. All right? So be kind and say please. But God is not looking for specific words. What God is looking for is your heart. He wants you. That's why he says, don't pray like the Gentiles and just repeat your words on and on and on. Now, another disclaimer. This is not, Jesus is not saying you can only pray for 30 seconds at a time, right? Recorded in the scriptures are times where Jesus prayed all night. Kids, can you imagine that? Praying all night long? That's a long prayer. So long prayers are fine. We also have some instances in the scriptures where Jesus actually repeats himself. So he's not saying you can never repeat a word. No, in fact, the Bible talks about persevering in prayer. So if there is something you really believe God has for you, you can pray repeatedly for it, day after day after day. But the purpose is not to think, if I just pray this enough times or say it the right way, God will then give it to me. The purpose is to say, God, I believe in you, so I'm going to pray because you want to provide. So don't pray like hypocrites just in selfish ways seeking attention, but also Don't pray like the Gentiles who pray in mindless ways, thinking it's just the right words. Instead, Jesus teaches us two ways to pray. And that is to pray in secret and with trust. In secret and with trust. So, in secret first. Find that there in verse uh, 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father 
who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The, the word therefore room is a, a room, I, a couple commentaries said that this was a room that in some Jewish houses would be right in the center. So it wasn't on the outside, so it would have no windows. Jesus is intentionally contrasting it with the hypocrites. The hypocrites would only pray where everyone could see them. So Jesus is saying, you know what? If you want to truly pray, go to this room, this one in your house that has no windows so that no one could even accidentally walk by, peer in and go, oh, wow, look how holy he is or she is. No, this is you and God. That's what prayer is. So go to a place where no one can even see you. Now, kids, you can pray by a window, just so you know, all right? You, you can pray outside, but the purpose isn't so that you can be seen. So your prayers are just as effective if they're around other people or if you're alone. And so kids, I know in Kids Creek, you sometimes get into small groups and sometimes maybe in your small group, you pray. And if your leader says, hey, anyone want to lead us in prayer? It's okay. You can say, yeah, I'll do it. Because your prayer might actually encourage someone else. Adults, when you're in your growth group, some of you may be thinking, oh, I'm not good at public prayer. Sometimes though, your raw, honest prayer helps move someone else. But Jesus' point is that should not be your only prayer. Your only prayers should not be at growth group. They should not just be at the supper table in front of other people. You should also be praying as you're laying in bed at night, going to sleep. As you're in your car, driving to work. As you're walking to school. As it's just you sitting in your room, playing by yourself. Right there. You can pray. Sometimes I, I travel around, you know, Waverly or I'll go to other places. In fact, just this week, I happened to be in a Grundy Center and my phone would not get reception. Drove me nuts. I couldn't believe it. I have iWireless, Iowa Wireless. They're supposed to have complete coverage. I found a few spots where they don't have coverage. But you know what? God always has coverage. There's not a single place that you can go where he can't hear you. And so you can go to the most inner room, you can shut the doors, you can shut the windows, you can shut everyone else out, and God is there. And he can hear you, and he wants to hear you. So don't make your only prayers in public. Make your prayer right there in secret, in the privacy of your own heart. But there's something else that happens when you pray in secret. When you pray in secret, it begins to develop the second thing we're seeing Jesus talk about today, and that is trust. You start seeing it there in verse 8. Do not be like the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Yeah, kids, have, have any of you ever been outside and you're uh, playing and all of a sudden you just realize you're really, really hungry? So you run inside and you say, Mom, I'm hungry. Give me some food. And your mom says, perfect timing because I just got supper ready. I was just getting ready to call you. Go wash your hands and come to the table because the food's ready. She's good, isn't she? I mean, she knew what you needed before you could even ask. And God is even better. He knows the deepest needs of your heart. He knows before you even ask. But then that leads to the question. If God already knows, why ask? Because it develops trust. You, you see, God knows what you need. You know what you need. But when you actually express it out loud to God in secret, you're saying, God, I need this. And I trust 
that you can provide. It develops trust in you. That's why we are to pray and to go ahead and ask. And that's when Jesus then launches into this very famous prayer. We've already seen it in the video. We're going to actually pray it together during our service. But I want us to look at it right now because what we're going to see is this underlying theme of trust. It starts there in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Think about that. This isn't some God that's distant. You don't have to talk to him by some formal name. He's your father. He's your heavenly daddy. He's like, he's a better daddy that throws you up and can catch you. He loves you and you can talk to him. But he's not just like any daddy. It says, hallowed be your name. It's like, God, you are so holy. You are so different. You are so much more than anything else. And yet, he invites you into this intimate conversation. So you can talk to your heavenly daddy, even though he's so holy. And then Jesus says, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know how much trust it takes to say your way, not mine? If you're ever with someone and maybe you're arguing through things, you think it should be done one way, they think it should be done another way. And finally, you just come to this point and you're like, all right, we'll do it your way. You're relinquishing power and you're saying, all right, I'm going to trust that your way works. And here's this God that we can't see who's working in mysterious ways. And we're saying, we'll do it your way. Your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. That takes trust. And here's another part of trust. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. You're saying, God, I trust you even for my basic needs, even for the food I eat today. I'm going to trust that you will provide. We live here in America. Most of us are middle class. We usually have food. We rarely worry about where it's coming from. And yet we are still to trust that he will provide. Verse 12, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're in debt to God because we had sin. And Jesus went and paid for our sin upon the cross so that we could be forgiven. And so therefore, we are set free. Our debt has been paid. If God does not forgive us of our debts, we're dead meat. We're in big trouble because the penalty of sin is death. But God, through Jesus, has forgiven us of that. And so we can say, God, I trust you to forgive me of my sins. We trust in your goodness. And then lastly, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you guys hear it? Through every phrase of this prayer is this idea of trust. It's this idea of placing your complete allegiance Upon God, you're trusting in his goodness for everything, saying your will be done. That's why Jesus there launches into this little mini sermon about forgiveness, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You hear it? Each of us, if we're honest with ourselves, admit, we've sinned. We've screwed up. 
We've made mistakes. And yet God, through Jesus, has forgiven us of that. And we're grateful for it. But when it comes to someone else, and we look at the evil that they do, (laughs) uh, no way, we're not forgiving them. And yet, when we say that, we're saying, God, I don't trust you. Because what they did was evil. What they did was wrong. They hurt me. And God's saying, yeah, but my death on the cross was also for them. So I've forgiven them. And so you have to forgive them as well. Because who are you to say God was wrong to forgive them? So we have to forgive others. If we don't, God is going to continue to hold our sin against us. Because we're trying to say we're better than God and that we don't trust him. So Jesus is saying, hey guys, pray not like hypocrites, just in selfish ways seeking attention. And pray not like the Gentiles who pray in mindless ways, thinking that their words are like magic. Instead, pray in secret because this is between you and God and pray with trust. What do you do when you feel like God threw you in the air and he let you come crashing down onto the bricks? How do you begin to pray and trust a God who's treated you like that? Well, today we've already looked at the words of Jesus, but to answer this question, we have to go and look at the actions of Jesus. So if you still have your Bibles or Bible apps open, flip over to, uh, stay there in Matthew, but flip over to chapter 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and we're going to start in verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36. Here's what Matthew writes. And then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. That's a garden that was outside of Jerusalem. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Kids, most of you have heard of communion. That comes from this ancient Jewish feast called Passover. The the Passover meal is a remembrance of when God brought the Jews out of slavery from Egypt. We go all the way back into the book of uh, Genesis to see them go into slavery and in Exodus to see them come out. And they were in slavery for 400 years. And God worked this miracle to bring them out. And so God put in the place this uh, feast. Well, during this feast, there are four cups of wine that they will drink. And the third one is called the cup of wrath. It's the reminder of when God poured out his wrath upon the Egyptians to let the uh, Israelites go free. But when Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, he gets ready and passes the cup around. And then he starts saying, this cup, this cup of wrath, this is my blood, which is shed for you. This begins a new covenant, a new relationship. This allows your sin to be forgiven. Well, that night, after they finished that Passover meal, they head to the garden. And you see, Jesus didn't drink of that cup. He passed it to his disciples. But Jesus gets there in the garden. He starts to pray. And Jesus knows that just an hour after this this prayer, that Judas is going to show up with a bunch of soldiers and they're going to arrest him. And they're going to take him. And in the middle of the night, they're going to have a 
fake mockery of a trial where he's going to be condemned. They're going to sentence him to death. So early in the morning, they take him before Pilate, who's going to say, nah, we're not going to sentence him to death. Let's just flog him. Let's just put the fear of Roman into these Jews. And so they take Jesus out, they strip off his robe, and they begin to whip his back in such a way that it rips the flesh off his back. It hurts badly. And then these soldiers, they want to have more fun. They take a bunch of thorn branches, they put them into a circle, and they jam it onto his head. Could you imagine a bunch of thorns being stabbed into your brow? And then, after making fun of him, spitting on him, beating him, they bring him back out. The Jews said, no, we want him dead. And so Pilate says, I wash my hands of this and hands him off to be executed. Or Jesus has nails driven through his wrists and through his feet. But not only was that what he was going to go through physically, the Bible also tells us that he bore the weight of the sin of the entire world. And not only was all of the sin of the world placed on him, the Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. God, who's perfect and holy, cannot allow sin into his presence. And so for the only time ever, the Trinity was momentarily split. And God, the Father, turns his back on his Son. And Jesus bears it alone. So when Jesus sins in the garden, can you blame him for saying, let this cup pass? Because he did not want to drink of this cup of wrath. Because he knew what was coming. This was going to hurt. God threw Jesus in the air and then stepped back and let Jesus crash to the ground. And Jesus wasn't just hurt. He wasn't just broken. He was killed. That's why the next phrase that Jesus says is so remarkable. Look at it there. It's part B there in verse 39. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but as you will. Can you imagine? He knows the hard thing he's about to go through. He knows this is going to hurt. And yet he trusts his father so much that he says, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will be done, but your will. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's trust. That is absolutely remarkable trust. Now, I do not want to minimize any pain that you have gone through. If you've gone through something tragic, I'll be honest, I wish I could go and change it for you. I'm sorry that some of you have had to go through divorce. I'm sorry, kids, if you've had a friend betray you. I'm sorry that you got into that car accident. I'm sorry that you were sexually abused. I'm sorry you didn't get the job. I'm sorry that you didn't think God made you beautiful enough or smart enough or talented enough or cool enough. If I could go back and change it, I would. I wish I could go back and rearrange those things for you. But I can't because I'm not God. To be honest, you don't want me to be your God. Because the reason I would change that for you is because I would only be seeing the short-term effects of it. And so I wish I could remove the pain but God is outside of time and space. And what Satan intends for evil in that moment, God can step back and look at it and go, yeah, no, I got this. I can correct this. I can actually work this for good. And Jeff already alluded to this verse, but Paul, when he writes a letter to the church in Rome, he says to them that God can use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according 
to his purpose. Do you hear it? All things. That means with God, nothing is wasted. Nothing. So that means your good things, like a gorgeous day, being outside, your great memories with your family, God is using those for your good. But it also means that a hard thing, that painful thing, God is also able to take that and use that for your good. Because you see, Jesus is not wanting you to just stand out and look really holy and pray amazing prayers. He's not wanting you to just go about saying mindless words, thinking that it's magic. Jesus is inviting you to pray in secret to your Father because he wants your heart. And as you pray in secret, you express trust that God is at work. And even though you can't see it in the moment, you're saying, God, I trust you. You've got this. And even though it feels like he's let you come crashing down, I think what you'll ultimately find at the end of life is that he had already caught you long before because the cross reveals that he's got this. And so, Will you pray? Will you pray with trust? Not selfishly, not mindlessly. Will you pray to your good, good Father? And so, Father, we just pray right now, saying, help us to know how to pray. Forgive us for the times that we don't pray correctly. We, we pray maybe to look good, or we pray because it feels like duty. We, we just say the same words over and over. We get ready to pray for a meal, and we just say the same thing, and we're not even thinking about it. But God, you want our hearts. You want our heads. You want all of us. You want us to trust you. And so I pray for those who are listening to the sound of my voice, whether they be uh, three years old or 80 years old, that they would trust you. Jesus, you're wanting to call us into something deeper. Some of us are keeping you at a distance because we have trust issues. We have felt hurt someplace at some time. Father, I just pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would break those walls down. You'd crumble them down. Your Holy Spirit would come in and minister to them, helping them see that we can trust you. And even though we've been through some horrific times and there might be some really difficult days ahead, you are over it all. And we can trust you because you will work all things out for our good. So God, forgive us for when we don't trust you. You are perfect in all your ways. So help us to just call upon you and not to think that, that things are bad, that we've crashed to the ground when things aren't going how we thought, but instead realize that you've got us. You've already caught us through Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone that's here and may not have a relationship with you yet, that, that today they would just say, God, I am a sinner. I have, I have sinned against you. I, I've even been mad at you. And today I see that you love me and you were calling me to trust you. So Lord, as they, as they make this decision, would you just minister to them now? Help them make that, that uh, step to cross that line of faith and enter into your kingdom that they too would be able to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray for all of us. Pray for us as a church family. Lord, I don't know what you have ahead for us individually and together. But no matter what is to come, would you help us to cling to you, to cling to Christ, to hang on, to not give up? You are good no matter what. And that as we see you do what only you can do, all the glory would go to you and we would exalt in it. 
So Father, help us as a church family, as individuals and collectively, to trust you, to proclaim you, and to be able to say, your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.